bricks, broken bottles and sticks from uh, Dean Parish. And I've got live on the phone all the way from uh, well, uh, East Coast of America. Dean, welcome to right, the show. Welcome to New York. You're in New York. Fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, oh, before I forget, Dougie Horse is right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dougie, yeah. Bless him. He's uh, lovely. Because you were born in New York, weren't you? Brooklyn. Yeah, gr- grew up in Brooklyn. That must have been so vibrant back in the 60s. Uh, Brooklyn was big for, um, well, it was doing very well for music, wasn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, music, uh, there were a lot of street corner bands, you know, that I, I used to sing with. Yeah. Like the... Uh, People like the Mystics and the Passions, they would sing on the street corners and we would, you know, be impressed with that. And we'd try to do the same thing and we'd be doing the same thing. It was a great time, with, you know, for music. Yeah, um, so and there was there was a lot going off, wasn't there? I mean, you, you were, uh, New York City was the Drifters and the Platters and Clyde McFatter and uh, oh, people yeah, such as that. Yeah. And, and there was... As a matter of fact, yeah, matter of fact uh, with Bricks... I think they were going to give it to the Drifters or something. All right. Or, or music. Or, yeah, when I met um, Stanley Kahn and, uh, and Art Talmadge. Um, and we went up there and I met Tony Bruno and, and Vic Melrose, who wrote that song. And uh, I think originally they were going to try to get it with the... But they really liked the way I did it, so they, they gave it to me. Fantastic. I was surprised. Um, what a great track as well. It's still uh, very, very popular over here. Um, well, 40 years on. Plus, no, 50 years on. Blimey. Um, so, and, yeah. Uh, you, yeah. <laughs> Crikey. I know, time flies. Doesn't it just? Um, so uh, you got a, a gig with Music Hall then that came out on, uh, on Music Hall Records. How did you come about right, getting... Right. How, how did you, I mean, you were in, the, we've, we've spoken about uh, people like the Platters, they were on uh, Music Hall. It, it must have been a lot of competition to get a record contract. Did you get yeah, discovered in a club yeah. or on the street corner or how was it? How, how I got that? Yeah. How I got, to, how I got with Music Hall was, I was handled by a guy named, um, at first I was with Teddy. Right. Then Teddy had a, had a, a music guy who was this guy, Bill Spitowski. He was a, like a music director. He would you know, bring records to the stations and yeah. stuff like that. And people would hear them. And when I was with Teddy and we did World's Fair, I did with one side because I couldn't keep singing like that. It was so funny. Teddy, the black man, was teaching me how to sing white, <laughs> which was crazy. <laughs> because my voice, had, my voice had changed. And, and you know, I did a couple of doo-wop things, which was very rare stuff. Yeah. And um and so Teddy was trying to, you know, he was a good friend and, and he gave me the name, uh, Dean Parrish. Oh, Originally it was Phil Anastasia, which right. was my name. But he said, You don't sound like a Phil Anastasia. He says, you sound you sound more and, and he got the name out of the uh, with one of the Ronettes, I think it was Estelle, right. where we they went in the phone book and they got uh, they got this. They came up with Dean. He says you look more like a Dean, and 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 then they come up with the name Parish with two R's. Yeah. And I said okay. And so I, I said, well, why do you want to change it? He says because you, you, you sound like a colored man. Right. And I said what color? <laughs> <laughs> he looked at me, he started laughing, and we became really good friends. And so we did one record. And I was imitating him and how he was singing it, but I couldn't keep that voice. Yeah. It just kept getting kept getting bigger and rougher. And he said, No, no, don't sing with it, you know, just you know, because at that time there was a lot of segregation going yeah, on. Yeah. And he wanted you know, he was really a good friend. 
But I was born to all of that. You know, I just loved the music and and the when they used to sing with street corner guys, they would say, no, you sing the lead. I said, no, my voice is too rough. They said, no, 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 sing like that. And that's how, you know, and from there, Bill Spatowski heard me because I was writing songs with Teddy. Yeah. And he said to me, oh, listen, I work with, uh, he had Dreamland Music, which was a, somehow affiliated with Bobby Darren. And he says, oh, would you, you know, come consider write songs for me? I said, sure. And I went to, went to his office and I started singing. He goes, oh, my God, why doesn't Teddy cut you like that? I said, well, you know, he's just, you know, he's a good friend. And I guess he was just worried about me at the time. He was trying to, you know, cut me in like, like a, I don't know what, a, you know, just a white singer, you know? Yeah. And uh, he said, no, no, you've got to sing like that. And he, and he brought me to music hall. Yeah. And I met Art Talmadge, and they heard me sing. He said, sign this guy. <laughs> and so, um, uh, and that's how I came up. And that was my dad's favorite song, because there was a lot not far from where I lived in Brooklyn, that a lot of bricks, broken bottles of sticks. Yeah. My father used to laugh about that. <laughs> and But he loved the song, God bless him. Um, and that's how that started. And um, and then Bill felt that the record was so strong that that should have been like a number one record. It charted like national, you know, yeah. not nationally, but, you know, uh, in, in different, like in New York, it was like 33. And in places like that, some places was in top 15 and, you know, and it was strange because at the time they, they found out that I was a white guy. I got pulled off a lot of those R&B stations. I was going to say, did, did you did you get, did you find that worked against you, being being white, trying to play black music or, or put into a black uh, yeah, audience? Yeah, sure. And uh, yeah, you, you would go to clubs and I was playing like Chitlin Circus and Georgie Woods was like an all-American, you know, it was like an American bandstand, but it was all black. Yeah. I had like a number 15 record on there. So I would show up at these places and the guy would say, you ain't him, are you? <laughs> <laughs> and I would say, yeah. And they said, well, take your chances. And <laughs> luckily, I got accepted on a lot of those shows. And um, then I went with, with Dick Clark. I went on tour with them with Lou Christie, and the Capitals, and oh, Cash McCall. I mean, right. so many different acts. Um, but it was a big Beatle invasion was going on, 1964, 65. Yeah. Was, you know, the Beatles were everywhere, so... And so I was doing that kind of music, and um, it was just really wild. So, what, so what, what, that's how that basically, yeah, yeah, it's a great record. It's still uh, it's still very very popular over here, especially in the uh, the rare and underplayed um, venues. Uh, but you you moved to a smaller label, didn't you? Straight after that song, you went to Boom Records. Well, no, what I, was the? Yeah, well, Boom, well, Boom was actually ABC Paramount. It was it was a sub. Oh right, ABC Paramount. And the other one they had with Burt Burns also was Bang Records. Yeah. So it was Boom and Bang. You know? <laughs> All right, I see. And, um, and when, I, when I met Bill originally, before we did Bricks, I sang Teller like that. Just, just sing something for me. And, and when I sang Teller, he said, you know, we should cut that. Yeah. And so he brought me over to, Rich, to Richard Dodderer, who was one of the strange loves. And he had the McCoys, and he had Cannibal and the Headhunters. He had a couple of acts with Seymour Stein and um, yep. we cut Teller. Great, let's give it a spin. That did really good over here. That broke like the top 100. Lovely. Uh, yeah, somewhere like that, but in certain places it was really big. And um, and that was basically my my uh, biggest record that I was aware of. I did, 
uh, the determin- it was determination. determination. We did it in, in the studio. Which, of course, came out as a B-side. Didn't it? Uh, sorry, it came out as a flip side. Determination. That was a, an afterthought. Turn on your love light was the uh, the plug side, wasn't it? On that single, I think. Yes, yes. They cut that, and I just felt that they they chopped that song up so much. But it was it was a great players, you know. And they were playing that, and um, and so I. So when we went to, I just came off of that tour with Dick Clark, and they said to me. You know, let's let's do the song. So they want to do "Turning Your Lover." I said, "Let's start with determination." They said, "Why? No one is ever going to hear that song. It's the B side." Yeah. I said, "Well, I like it." You know. So I said, "Okay." So I start singing the song, and I said, "I was reading the words," <laughs> and when I finished, I said, "Okay, I'm ready to take it." He said, "You're done. We took it." Fantastic. I said, "What are you talking about?" He says, "It's over. No one's going to hear that song. Let's just go to the other song." So, you know, you did what you were told, yeah. you know, so we went and did the other thing. Ah! It's really funny that that record <laughs> did better than the A-side. Yeah. It was the side, you know, and uh, I just wish I could have told her, see, I told you I was right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Love what happened with that. Um, so, um, I mean, you cut three tracks on uh, on Boom Records. The first was Skate. I think you wrote that one, didn't you? Shall we have a listen to that next? Yes, I wrote that with, uh, with Richard Goddard. Yeah. And um, that's Bernard Purdy's on drums on it. Oh, one. right. Lovely. Yeah, uh, this was Eric Gale, Ron Carter. There were people like that on those records. They were excellent musicians. Yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember Purdy in the studio. If you notice on that record, when he takes these two drum breaks... They're both completely different. All right. This guy, I mean, he, he would come into the studio. He was a young guy at that time. He would come into the studio, and he would set up these advertisement stands. And it would say, hire Pretty Purdy, <laughs> you know, great trouble, get you a hit record, and gay glow paint. And he would set them up in the studio, and all the violin players, all those kind of guys would all laugh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but meanwhile, when he started playing... He didn't even sit down. He was basically off the chair playing. It was just so amazing that, you know, you just couldn't, you couldn't help but notice him. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it was great. Brilliant. Um, so yeah. y- your biggest track, uh, as far as the UK scene is concerned then, uh, came at Laurie Records, didn't yeah. it? So you went, yeah. to, you went across to Laurie? Tell me about I'm On My yeah, Way. Was, did you, I mean, it, it, you must have felt it when you, way, when you did it. On, yeah. When it happened was the music was so... It was so crazy at the time they were playing records backwards, like number nine. You know, there was everything was psychedelic now in '67, mm-hmm. and the music was like, you know, everything was psychedelic. And so now, um, my record company, I was with Bill, and they were, they had um, a record company called, um, oh my God, why can't Spring Records? Right, yeah. They had Spring Records. They had Joe Simon people. Yeah. And it was, new, it was a new label at the time. And I was like, you know, gee, you know, I had like some guys like from the Vanilla Fudge. I said, listen, why don't you sign these guys? Listen, nah, 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 we don't want a group of us. So I said, I don't know, I said, let's do a record. So they said, okay. And he hooked me up with Doug Morris. Okay. And Doug Morris, yeah, they took me in the studio. And I remember going in there. And, uh, and I remember... Funny thing when I was singing. Also, Ellie Greenwich is singing the other part of the song. Right. She's doing the background, Ellie. And both in these days, you, you know, you didn't overdub. 
mainly a lot of these things that were, if you weren't in a group, the union was there, there were mm-hmm. arrangers, it was you know, set up at that time. So if you sang it, and you sang it again, everybody got paid again. All right. <laughs> so you had to do the records right away, you know? And if you didn't sell, if you, you come out with a record, if you didn't sell more than 5,000 records, you didn't make another record again. Okay. okay. You know? Pressure's on. You were gone. So let's have a listen to uh, that record that became such an anthem. I didn't even know that I'm on my way even came out. Right. Because at the time, like I said, it was wilder music, you know, and and that's how steeplechase came about because of all of that, because it got so wild. Yeah. Um, so I didn't even know anything about I'm on my way. Wow. So, um, and then, um, and so that when we worked with uh, Steeplechase. That, that was such was a shift, wasn't it? That was such a shift in genre, completely away from anything else that you'd done. Right, right. So I don't know anything about the, I'm on my way at the time. So now it's the, the 70, 1970. Yeah. And I'm going to, uh, as a matter of fact, there were some people looking for Dean Parrish, but they were looking for a black guy. Oh, right. <laughs> and I... You know, so I think, I mean, there's another guy with the same name. I don't know, you know. So that's why I just really didn't think about it. So now what happens is I'm in this group called the Rosicrucians. Okay. And we go, so, and, and there's a friend of mine who had a studio in the Hotel Victoria, Sandy Messina, and we went into, and I cut three records. Right. So I record these three songs. And um, the rest of it was a cover of uh, Get Ready by uh, Rare Earth. Mm-hmm. And so I do these three songs, and I give them to Phil Basile, who has, uh, and Steve Weiss, who handled Led Zeppelin and all of that. Right. And he, he, he listens to it, he goes, wow, this is great. And he brings it to Atlantic, and Atlantic offers 75000 Back in 1970. Okay, I produced this, yeah, this by myself. Yeah. So now... They get all excited, so they bring it. Steve felt that you should give me more money. Uh-huh. So he brings it to Polydor. Polydor offers $135,000. Crikey. So they run with them. I'm saying, well, we should go with Atlantic because we're in the States here. You know, it could be close. So no, we're going with the money. So you found the money. So they go with the money, and they go with them. And I said, okay. So they said, now the band, I guess, I don't know. I don't know how this became about it. I said, we need a producer. I said, I just got us a record deal. <laughs> I don't understand. What you, we need a producer. I produced the last thing. We got the, we got a record deal. Yeah. So they're bringing Eddie. Cram, they're bringing Eddie Kramer. Eddie Kramer did Jimi Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, all that. But he didn't produce them. He he was engineer. Yeah. And so then they said, "Well, you know, he's really good. You know, we can go in the studio." So we go to Juggy Murray's studio, which a lot of Sue records and a lot of mm-hmm. the old Bell sound was there. And, and so we go in the studio, and we're there. And we're recording, and I'm saying, when are we going to record the three songs that we got to deal with? We never do that. So now they're doing all this crazy music. I'm going, this music is fine and all of that, but it sounds, I don't know, it just, it, it just doesn't sound like what I'm used to doing, yeah. you know? It, it just, and the, and, the, and the album cover looks like a rock band, you know? Yeah, I'm yeah. Like, you know, so I'm going like, what is, you know, what is this? I could do? So I guess they were trying to like, 
lose the Dean Parrish stuff and looking for something new. Yeah. Uh, who knows? Yeah. So now, so now we're in the studio. Now I'm getting, I'm getting crazy, and I'm and I'm having some difficulty with the band and and with Eddie. You know, God love him and everything, but I'm saying. This, I said, listen, I got this other song, Never Coming Back. I said, let's just do this because it's completely different from the other thing. And I did it. Yeah. We, we did a boom, one take, this thing and that. So the next day I said, listen, let's go and record the three songs. Lovely. Let's just have a listen then to uh, Never Coming Back. So I'm sort of like getting there, like sort of like vague about it. Electric Lady is being built at the same mm-hmm. time as almost finished, and the doorbell rings. Well, it's actually a light goes on in the studio. Okay, yeah. So Eddie says, Tony, go downstairs and see who's at the door. So so he goes. Tony goes downstairs, the bass player, while I'm inside playing guitar with Joe Forgione, the drummer, and I'm writing this heavy song, you know? Yeah. It's a little heavy, but at least it's more in turn like with Rod Iron Man, so, because all the other stuff was completely different. And so now, I'm either going to do some sort of soul song or we're going to do some sort of heavier rock song or whatever than what they've been doing. So now I'm playing the guitar on this thing. And Tony goes downstairs, and it's dark. It, the place was like across the street from Studio 54. Oh, yeah. Studio 54 wasn't there at that time, mm-hmm. but it's on that street. And it's dark, it's raining. And Tony looks at the door. And there's this black guy ringing the doorbell. And Tony goes, yeah, can I help you? So he's going, yeah, he says, I'm supposed to do something later on or whatever. Uh, and he goes, um, who's that playing upstairs? He says, oh, that's my band. He says, who's that? He says, the Rosicrucians. He says, listen, you mind if I get my guitar and I come jam with you? All of a sudden, Tony realizes who he's talking to. Because his hair's all down, it's wet, it's raining, it's dark, we're in a crazy part of town or whatever. Yeah. It's Jimmy Hendrix. No he way. And it's Jimmy. He goes, oh, okay. <laughs> so Jimmy goes and gets his guitar. He comes up. I knew Jimmy because I knew him when he was Jimmy James. Right. And he used to play with Carmine Abbasi from The Fudge and he played with Ron Stewart and all that. We used to work in a place called The Lighthouse. Uh-huh. It was on, it was on Amsterdam Avenue in the, in the 90s in New York. It was a black club and we used to, and that's how I met Jimmy. We used to hang out together all the time. Right. And so, but I, but back then he wore a suit. He oh, had right. processed hair. He looked completely, he looked more like Ike Turner. And so I'm saying like, wow. So he comes in, he goes, Dave, Dean, you mind if I jam with you? I go, what? <laughs> and there he is with his hair, with the eyes on his chest and the whole bit. I'm going, oh my God. I go, yeah, sure, come on. So we start playing and we do two jams. Yeah. After the jam's finished, Eddie pulls the wolf of the reels and goes, this never happened. I said, what are you talking about? It never happened. Joey's going, what are you talking about? We're going to put it on our album. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I was writing some words and stuff, this thing and that, to, to, so we could just, this, this is great. This is going to save the album, you know? And so, he pulls it off. He said, this never happened. We never went back into the studio again. Because Electric Lady was done. And he said the album was done. Right. So we never did those three songs that I got to deal with. Yeah. Which I was really hurt by that and disappointed in yeah. by that. And then, and then, they, and then they took the tape. 
So they've contacted me recently saying that they have the jams that they sound great. Right. And, uh, yeah, but, you know, they still haven't come out yet. And it's in the Sessions book. All the Jimi Hendrix Sessions books is a Rosicrucian since 1970. Mm-hmm. We did that recording. Anyway, so now all of this goes by, and the music is really getting different and everything else like that. So I sort of like fade into the background. I yeah. just stopped singing. And uh, I did a lot of session work. Uh, I was with uh, George Santana, uh, Carlos's brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had Malo. They had a couple of hits for. They did a couple of albums for Warner Brothers and everything. And so I was with him. I went on tour with him, with Walter Afanasiev and uh, Gary Brown and you also, Yogi. Nuttman. Yeah, you also played for Herbie Mann, didn't you, and Bob Marley? Yes. Well, that came in like around '72, whatever, something like that. So now, yeah. So so. Get this thing and said, listen, okay, come on, let's go to Jamaica. I go to Jamaica, and I'm out there for a couple of months, and it was really strange. I was out there with uh, Bonnie Whaler, Jimmy Cliff, uh, yeah. a few other people. It was staying over there at this Golden Clouds Villa that they had. And uh, we stayed over there, came back, and did a recording uh, in New York for Warner Brothers on the Chances Are album. And I'm playing guitar on reggae on Broadway. All right. And... Uh, dance, do the reggae, I'm, I'm doing it, playing a couple of things. And they give me a special thanks in there, and they used my real name in that. Yes. I just, you know, and so, and that was like the last stuff that they had from, from, uh, from Molly. But now, I get a phone call uh, about 2000, 2001, something like right. that. And I'm still living in Brooklyn at the time. And I get, a, no, 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 I moved to Staten Island. Okay. And I'm in Staten Island, which is just right over the bridge from Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. That's going to Staten Island. And um, I get this guy, Andy Ricks, calls me on the phone. Right. And he's going, Dean? And I'm going, yeah. He thinks he found Elvis. I'm going, what are you talking about? <laughs> he goes, I'm getting the idea you're not believing what I'm telling you. So I said to him, well, you know, I said, who is this? Is this Carmine fooling around? Because Carmine used to do that fooling around with, okay. call with an English accent, you know? As a matter of fact, he called me one time. He said, Melody Maker's looking for you. <laughs> I said, figures they're looking for that black guy or whatever. <laughs> you know, that was Dean Parrish. Yeah. I didn't know. So, no, anyway, so he's on the phone with me, and then he says to me, would you consider coming to the UK at Kletorps to do a show? Uh-huh. So I go... Okay. I go, what songs do you want me to sing? <laughs> he goes, your songs. I said, what songs are those? <laughs> He's telling me more about me than I know about. Yeah. He's telling me serial numbers. He's telling me everything. I'm going, what? I'm going, come on, who is this? And he's going, no, come there. So I come there with Maxine Brown. We get on the plane. Right. We go to yep. Cleetons. Right? <laughs> it's A.E. Crosdale. Uh-huh. And, and we're there, and, and and he said, Dale, I don't think you're going to be ready for this. I said, why? What's the matter? So I go and look out, and, and, I, and I, I, he says, there's a lot of your places packed, you know, and I'm going, mm. he goes, what do you mean? He goes, you, you, you don't see. So I saw also, and, I, and they announced me, yes, was, you're Dean Parrish, and the place Erupted. goes insane. Yeah. <laughs> and cameras are going off, and I'm going, what am I, Britney Spears? What's going <laughs> on over here? 
everyone is going insane. And I'm going like, what is this? Tommy Hunt showed up. I knew him from 45th yeah. Street. And I'm going like, what is this? And then I'm looking at them and going, oh my God, they're all white, these people. I'm freaking, there's going to be black people here. Yeah. I worked a lot of black shows. Yeah. Except for like Dick Clark and, uh, and you know some other things. But, and they're looking at me and going, oh my God, he's white. And I'm looking at them, and they're looking at me. It was like it was like ET. Like, <laughs> little girl found him in the closet. We're both screaming at each other, you know. And we did that thing, and that was the start of it. Yeah. And I had no idea about it on my way. It just, I just didn't know. Well, I mean, and it was. Then it came out. Yeah. Well, it was that big over here. It came out twice. It got re-released in 1975, I think, because <laughs> uh, it was it was um, a, a regular play at uh, one of the iconic venues in the UK, Wigan Casino. And I reached number. It, it, it was a top forty placement in the UK charts. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Right? You know, like, God bless the UK. God bless. <laughs> you. God bless. You. So, um, yeah. So, and then I met Russ, and uh, Tommy Hunt was saying, "Yeah, Russ is in." And eighty was telling me, you know, just and Russ is. He became like family. I mean, yeah. like I've been working with him so much, and um, yeah, Russ Win Stanley. It's just been a dream come true. And you know what? I felt bad about that. So many. Artists never knew. Records mm. made like Hoagie Lands. Yeah, you know he and a lot of these guys. They were that he was on Laurie too, and so many of these guys they never knew any of this. No, no, you know, such a it shame. Was like, yeah, and then meeting Tommy Hunt out there because I remember when he had Human, and I was you know I loved that song you know and well Tommy lives nearby it was, doesn't dance he? Song was, yeah, it was more like a ballad you know. Yeah, well Tommy lives nearby. He moved to the UK in the seventies and I think and never went back. Yeah, yeah, never went back. Yeah, he's enjoying himself, bless yeah, him. Yeah, he, he, was, he, he was a big ladies' man. <laughs> <laughs> he still is. <laughs> that might be why he left. <laughs> yeah. Lovely. So, um, af- after you're, uh, um, you you got uh, you realised your popularity, you've actually gone back into the studio, haven't you? Um, you uh, cut a new track in 2006, I think it was. And right, be- right. What happened was is that um, I got sent this thing from... It was a Paul Weller track yeah. from, uh, from Eddie, Eddie Peller and mm-hmm. Steve, Steve Cadrock yeah. and yeah and Lord Lodge is group called Lord Lodge. I mm-hmm. didn't know any. And so now they sent me this MP3. I listened to it. I said, "Okay, you know, sounds like a nice song." And uh, and and so now I I wasn't even too familiar with Paul Weller. Oh right, you know, yeah. I knew about the jam, yeah. but I wasn't—I you know, didn't have his whole history. You understand? Mm-hmm. And I was basically out of the record business, you know, like for a while. And so now it, they said, "Okay, uh, would you put a vocal on this?" I said, "Okay." So they sent me the MP3. I go into the studio up in Long Island. Scott and I know Jim Sabella, and I go to Sabella Studios and I go in there and I put on the vocal. Yeah. And I sent him, he said, just send me the vocal back by itself. So I sent it back to them. They went crazy. He said, this is great. And Paul loved it, and they all loved it, and everybody was so this. And we came out with that. So let's have a listen. This is Lord Large featuring the vocals of Dean Parrish and left, right, and center. Andy Ricks recommended I would sing that song, Never Be Over For Me. Yeah. And we did it as more of a dance thing instead of because I knew, I remember Timmy at the at the sock hops in New York. We, I played a, a lot of shows with her. Yeah, uh, we would do all these radio promos. You know, you would you would lip sync back then. You know, mm-hmm. and um, 
And so I did that. Um, but that didn't work out too well because we had like a little problem with the contracts and stuff. But they, they had cut it. They put it out and everything. I wasn't going to hold anything against them. Uh, you know, I have it out on uh, on also on uh, iTunes or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but um, you know, it's a jazz. They're cool, you know. But it's just... It just didn't work out well for them. And then now I write this, this since I'm back in the business, I'm doing shows, yeah. I'm playing all these places. The people are wonderful. Uh, it's like my second home to the UK. Excellent. If it wasn't for my grandkids and my daughter, I'd be in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, you know, I want to see these kids grow up. Yeah, you know? of course you do. Of course you do. You and, just uh, look at the time. But I, I, I absolutely love the UK. I mean, really. Um, well, you appear to be enjoying yourself in Skegness in uh, in September. What a great weekend that was! Oh, it was just a, it was people that you know Dino and everything. I'm going like, oh my god, it's it's just so I just loved it. I want to squeeze them all. You know? Yeah, it's just so beautiful. You know, when it was just like, make this whole soul you know feel better. You know, it's just yeah. Well, it really it is. It's, it's like a soul family, isn't it? I mean, everybody's so friendly, oh, lots of happy, smiley the faces. Should, the whole world was like Northern Soul. Yeah. This would be a better place. Oh. This would be a better world. Oh, I'm into that. Because these people are passionate. They're for real. They're real. Yeah. They're really real. And um, so anyway, what happens after this, I I, uh, I was writing a song, and I thought it was a pretty good song. And so one of the bands that, that backed us up in the UK, uh, the Signatures. Oh, yes. Yeah, this guy, uh, yeah, this guy uh, uh, Gavin Webb. Mm-hmm who was the manager of the band, and he's a drummer of the band. And we got along quite well. And I said to him, I said, gee, you know, you, maybe, see, what do you think, what do you think of this song? And I sent him this song called Feed Me Good Loving. Yeah. It was a raw demo, raw demo. I did it at home, and I, I sent him the thing. And he said, wow, this song is like, feed me good loving, you know? It's about food, sex, how could you go wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so what he does... He sends it to Mark Tapia. Right. Uh, and I didn't know who Mark Tapia was. He worked with Simon Cowell, Backstreet Boys. Mm-hmm. He had a lot of hits. He hears it. He loves the song and cuts it. Excellent. And starts to record it. They sent it back to me. I put a vocal on it. It just came out for Christmas on vinyl. Brilliant. Yeah, it's a pretty wild song. So that's called Feed Me Good Loving, and it's available now. It's hot off the presses. Where can people buy it, Dean? Well, they get it from uh, Static Wax Records, and it's also, um, you can see them on my Facebook, and, mm-hmm. and uh, or Static Wax, or even the Signatures uh, site, where you, you, you'll see them, and uh, it's really wild, you know, so now, they put a little video together and everything, and, then, and now in January, they're flying over here uh-huh. to JFK to do a video. Oh, right. I I said, wait a minute. <laughs> Listen, I'm getting on in years. I don't think anybody my age should be making a video. <laughs> you know what I mean? And they said, no, 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 no. And everybody knows who you are. This thing, don't, let's go and sort of talk me into it. They got these uh, really attractive girls. They put, they're going to set up a green screen mm-hmm. and put me in there. And uh, so I'm going to do that in January, I think around the 12th or something like that. Brilliant. They're going to be over here and film it. They're going back and put the video together and then release it. I guess then maybe you'll get digital or whatever. But, great. Um, great stuff. Right now, the, right now it's just static wax. Yeah. It's on vinyl. 
And, and there is actually a, a sample on the Static Wax page, staticwax.co.uk forward slash product, and uh, you can check it out just there and also uh, pre-order and download. Fantastic. Yeah, and uh, if you can get in touch with Static Wax, well, I'll send them a, a heads up, see if they can get you something to, re, you know, to play, you know, because I don't even have anything. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> You know, and I don't want to jump ahead of the record company also. You know what I mean? No, of course They're not. They're doing what they have to do. They're, they're working hard, so. Excellent. So hopefully this is, this is the first of many then, Dean, um, because uh, you brought an album out a few years ago, didn't you? Determination, the Northern Soul Sound of Dean Parish. So yeah. uh, how's it feel yeah, back started, in the recording studio? We started doing that. Yeah, but, you know, it's like a lot of these old records where they, they never had licenses to get digital. Mm. They were all vinyl. Yeah. What I liked about vinyl was... You couldn't download it, <laughs> for one. And if you did download it, to, to take off those cracks and pops, you might yeah. as well buy the record. Yeah, absolutely. You know, to do all the goals of that trouble. But I noticed in the UK, they want the real thing. They don't want a bootleg. Mm-hmm. They, you know, if they, if they really can't get it, they'll make one. But if, they, if, they can, if it's all possible to get it, they will go and get it because they want the real thing. Yeah. They don't want to... Yeah, original 45s can sometimes go for thousands of dollars a time. Yeah, yeah. well, look at the Do I Love You. Frank oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He was a friend of mine on Facebook. He used to laugh. He said, oh, my God, you know, look how, look how much this record is. Yeah, <laughs> dear. Dear, oh, dear. I love them. Lovely. Yeah. Right, so we're going to play out with that then. Uh, Feed Me a Good Love in the new single from Dean Parrish, available for download on staticwax.co.uk. Dean, thanks so much for uh, giving me the interview today and uh, wish you all the very best for success with um, your, your yeah, forthcoming single. Yeah, thank you so much. And big shout out to all those people, all those Northern Soulers. Love you. Um, hope you like the record. And um, have a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. 